Let's get to our message today. It comes from Isaiah 1 and Matthew 22. We're going to read that together. Isaiah 1, 11 to 17 reads, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Matthew 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this series that you're bringing us through. And we pray, God, that you continue to highlight your son. That people would look to Christ and realize that we were truly saved to know you and to walk with you and not to do this Christianity thing, but to simply walk with you and to be like you and to live for you. So God, we pray that through these sermons that you would just once again refocus our hearts upon you and you alone and help us to know you, love you, and walk with you, walk for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this is the last week of our Why Did Jesus Have to Become a Man series, okay? And I hope you guys are enjoying it. I hope you guys are continually amazed at who Jesus is, even though all these stories are probably nothing new. I really hope, I hope that we're covering them in such a way that you see Christ in a different light. And I hope it's changing the way that you worship. And I hope it's uh, purifying and transforming your faith. Um, up until now, we said that Jesus came and dwelt among us for two reasons. And the first was, we spent two weeks saying he came to communicate and to demonstrate who God was and what God is like. And last week, we extensively covered that he came to elevate the dignity of the individual. Uh, today, we're going to look at the third and last reason, and it's going to be the most challenging by far. And because it's the most challenging, I'm just going to warn you now, it's going to be a little bit long. Okay, long meaning like 40, 45 minutes maybe, okay? So strap in. But I swear to you, I tried to write it in such a way that if you just follow with me, you'll be, hopefully you'll be like, damn, Jesus is awesome, okay? That's, that's the goal. Okay, so here we go. Here's the third reason. Jesus became a man and dwelt among us so that he could put religion in its place. Okay, I'll explain what that means a little bit later. You'll totally get it by the end of the message. You know, we said in a previous message that religion has a place in society. Religion helps us answer all those big questions in life. You know, what happens when we die? Will I ever see my mother again? Will I ever see my dog again? You know, this kind of stuff, right? What is God like? Religion answers those things. But even on a more practical level, religion helps us answer questions like, well, how am I supposed to conduct my marriage? Right? How, how am I supposed to raise my children? How am I supposed to treat others? And what am I supposed to prioritize in life? And religion 
answers those questions for a lot of people. And especially within our society, we not only need that, we actually love that. You know, we love the clarity that religion brings. We love that it's simplified. We love that it's systematic. We love having principles to live by. We need answers to all of our moral and ethical uh, questions in life. And religions give us those, it gives us these boundaries to work within. So religion brings certainty into an uncertain world. And religion has a place, it occupies that place in this world. But Jesus came to put religion in its place, okay? And this is what I mean. You know, we said in the previous message, I think the previous message, that whenever religion comes first and takes the most important place within our lives, what suffers? Mercy. Mercy suffers. We, we said we said that last time. And, I mean, and just to prove that, I, and, you know, like just think of the, the, some phrases that are associated with religion in the past. You know, some, some people, when they think about religion, they think about child sacrifices, you know, from thousands of years ago, or honor killings. We hear of things like holy wars. Even Jesus, when he was crucified, people are like, crucify him. These are the words that we think about when we think about religion. And it's not just those other religions. Christianity is like that, too. If you look at the Christian history, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad stuff, like the Crusades, right? Even the Catholic Church, you know, when they put religion first, there were so many atrocities committed in the name of Jesus. And the bottom line was that mercy suffered within our world. I know, but you're thinking, but Eddie, it's 2022. I'm not like that. I swear I didn't kill anyone you know, in the name of Jesus. I swear I didn't do anything like that. But what, I will, what I'd say to you is we're still like that, though. Okay, and maybe more radically like that than we think. Yes, you may not have killed somebody, but we are like that. And before I get to that, let me just give you two additional weaknesses of religion, which is what I'm trying to do at the beginning here. Religion, if you think about it, collapses under the weight of the real world. I don't know if you ever thought about that, you know? Religious leaders like me, pastors like me, I love giving you messages like how to be a godly husband. You know, or God, I just did how to be a godly man. You know, how to have a godly marriage. And I teach that. And I give you the ABCs and the one, two, threes. If you take that class with Eddie Bang, you'll get the ABCs and one, two, threes. And you'll get so excited because you write those things down. Okay, okay, oh, so good. And then you go home and you try that on your wife and it doesn't work. It doesn't, okay? And then you're like, crap, it doesn't work. And then you know what you do? You call me and you complain. That's, that's, my, whole, that's my whole job, okay? And the reason why is because real life doesn't happen like religion, Okay? You know, we love religion because it's simplified, it's symptomatic, you know, it's systematic, it's simplified. But if, you know, we like thinking, if I do this, God will do this. If I pray like this, God will respond like this. That's religion talking. But real life is different. Real life is messy. Real life is unsystematic. Real life is inconsistent. And real life is random, right? Just think about your spouse. Yes, <laughs> he is. Yes, she is, right? That's real life. Have any one of you grown up with a rule maker in your house? Like someone who is a strict rule maker? Right, maybe it was your mother, maybe it was your dad. You know, hopefully you didn't. But if you did, did you ever notice that the rule maker, whoever possesses that role of the rule maker in your relationship or in your family, that person's always angry? Did you ever notice that? That person's always angry. You know, why can't you just obey the rules? How many times did I tell you not to put that on the table? Don't play ball in the house. Get your feet up. You know, they're always angry at something. Uh, and they're always angry because the real world, real people are not systematic. Okay, uh, people are not systematic. Religions and rules never really hold up. Number two, here's another weakness. Whenever religion takes first place, you ever notice that leaders become self-righteous and followers become hypocrites, right? Right, did that just describe the church, you know? 
we grew up in. You know, and, and, and this is how I know. And the reason why I know is because I'm a religious leader, and I'm going to show you the little man behind the curtain, okay? You know, uh, that's a Wizard of Oz reference, if you've never seen that movie. Maybe you haven't, right? Um, I'll be straight honest with you. You know, and this is what we religious leaders do, not just me, but other people as well. Religious leaders like me, we like to dumb down the rules of religion, and we make it, and we make it so much so that I can be slightly more radical than the average person, so that why? I can feel good about myself, that I actually am following the rules. Okay, that's what we do. And then when we see you guys not follow the rules, we can say, I'm doing it, why can't you do it? And then all that does is it makes me feel good about myself. Instead of loving you and seeing you fail and sin, and I should be more compassionate and loving, it makes me feel better about myself. Yes, that's the man behind the curtain, right? That's what we do. And, and then do you know what goes hand in hand with self-righteousness? Anger, right? Do you ever see religious leaders like just not happy? And they're like blaming everybody for anything and just saying, how come you're doing this? How come you're doing that? How come you're doing that wrong? Da, da, da. Did you ever notice that? Right? See, it's, there's, okay, anyway. It's be, and, and here's the reason why. The reason why is not because we think that we're that much better, but it's also, it's, all, it's that, but it's also because we secretly want to do what you're doing. It's true. When we see you guys sin, the first our reaction we have as religious leaders is like, hey, don't do that. You shouldn't be doing that. But deep inside, we're like, damn, I wish I could do that. You know, that looks so fun. And we do, right? And so, you know, when religious leaders, that's what we're like. Anyway, how about followers, right? Most of us experience this one. And if you've grown up in the church, you know this one inside and out. You know which hat to put on in the right situations. Am I right? When you come to church, you become that guy, the church guy. And then once you get in your car, you become the complaining car guy, right? That by everything that went on in church. And then when you get home during the week, you become the work guy, you know, or girl, whatever it is. And it's not consistent. And we know that the moment we step in here, we put on that hat. You know what the hat that we put on when we come to church is? Let's just be a little bit good. Good enough that we're average or better than average. That way nobody notices if I'm bad or good at all and no one will say a thing. Am I right? We do everything that we can to avoid people's comments. And to avoid attention, to avoid people commenting about my holiness, my life, whatever. We don't even share in real fellowship. Do you know what I'm saying? We, don't, we make sure we don't share those details. And so uh, that's what we do. And the reason why is because as long as our organization or our church feels as if you're okay or doing okay or good enough, we won't say anything. Right? I was talking to a leader of a, uh, of a church, like a, a small group leader of a different church, uh, like a year or two ago. Or like two, right before the pandemic. And that person said, Eddie, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. I've been, like, faking it the whole time. Like, faking what? Like, just faking leadership. You know, I don't even know what it means to be a leader or be holy, but I've been faking it the whole time. I said, how's that working out for you? It's like, not good. Because I'm always afraid they're going to find out that I'm this messed up. But, I, but I'm good. I'm going to fake it till I make it, Eddie. One day I'm going to make it, right? And I said, no, you're not. And I said, why am I not going to make it? Simple, because you're putting the rules first. You're putting religion first, Right? Because religion makes us hypocrites. Those who follow religion makes us hypocrites. Just like those religious leaders who follow religion first makes us self-righteous, angry people. Um, have you, you know what I'm talking about? Have you not seen this? Have you not seen it at your church? I think our church is like that. Anyway, but when you read the Gospels, 
You find something totally different about Jesus Christ, don't you? Jesus is always at odds with the religious leaders. And the thing is, it's not because they're arguing over what's more important. Is it the religion or is it people? They're not arguing about that, right? They both know that they're both important. However, what they're always arguing about is which one is more important. Is religion and traditions and customs more important or are people more important? And what you'll discover is every single time, Jesus consistently prioritized people over religion tradition and customs. Always. You will never find one exception to that. He always did that. And the Pharisees couldn't get it. And that's the whole thing. You know, the Pharisees were always like, man, you say you're from heaven. You claim that you're like from God. But the thing is, you don't live according to our rules. You don't live according to our customs and and our traditions. And that makes us angry at you. And that's why the Pharisees were always angry at Jesus Christ. And then Jesus would frustrate them, and he'd come along, and he'd say something like what? Like what? It's like, but dudes, don't you guys realize I came to uphold the law? I didn't come to abolish the law, right? So it sounds like he's going to follow the law. And all of a sudden, this, purple, this poor blind person will come along on the Sabbath day, and what will Jesus do? Heal him on the Sabbath and totally break the law. Do you know what I'm saying? Confused everybody. So to clear up this confusion, Jesus makes this extremely jolting but significantly clarifying statement in our passage today. And before I state it, here's the context. Um, we mentioned this before, but religious leaders back then, 2,000 years ago, they loved the Sabbath. They truly, truly believed that God took a whole day off, right? Did nothing. And therefore, every single believer should take a day off as well. You should do nothing. And they define nothing so well that they actually made a lot of rules to do nothing, right? That's what the, the religious leaders did. And you could do this on the Sabbath, you can't do that on the Sabbath. And the thing is, Jesus would just break their rules all the time. One time after his ministry, like they were walking, he and his disciples were walking through the fields and they were so hungry that they started to eat the tops of the stalks of wheat because they were so hungry. But the thing is, that's actually against one of the traditions because it was on the Sabbath and they accused, the Pharisees accused the disciples of harvesting, you know, and Jesus is like, they're not harvesting, they're just hungry, man, right? They're not doing work. Um, and then, you know, what's funny is right before this passage, Jesus, so, so then Jesus was like, you do realize that King David did the exact same thing. And you have to realize that King David, Abraham, and Moses, they're like the Holy Trinity of the Old Testament, okay? You know, no Pharisee would say anything bad about King David. But then Jesus says, hey, you know, King David did the exact same thing with his soldiers, and then they couldn't say anything. So, they, of course, they were ticked off. Um, and then all of a sudden, Jesus makes this statement. And this statement that Jesus makes makes Christianity extremely messy. But this statement that Jesus makes makes Christianity so beautiful. And it makes it so wonderful. Right? Um, and here we go. This statement probably goes to the heart of why you always struggled with your relationship with God and why you always had issues with the church. That's a pretty big problem. That's a pretty big thing for me to say, but it's huge. Here we go. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? The rules were made for man, not man for the rules. You guys understand this? And let me tell you what it doesn't mean, just in case you don't, you don't understand. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It's not as if God was up there in heaven. And I was like, yo, Jesus, we have all these amazing, beautiful rules. We have all these like ridiculously beautiful laws. What should we do with them? Holy Spirit, you think we should create some people so that they can obey these amazing laws? 
right? No, God created people first, and he created the laws for the people. But the Pharisees got it backwards, right? And they put the law in front of the people. And once again, I'm going to ask you, do you guys ever grow up with a pro, with a, like, um, in a home where one of the parents was all about the rules? And they, all they said was rules, rules, rules. You got to follow the rules. I don't care what the situation is. You got to follow the rules. These are the rules. Anyone grow up in a home like that? I did. If you grew up in a home like that, what's the first thing the children want to do when they turn 18? Leave, right? That's what I did. I left the country. You know, I came to Australia. But that's what happens, right? When you grow up in, a, in an environment where it's all about the rules, 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 and that's it, no matter what, everybody can't wait to leave home. Here we go. Do you know what great parents do? Let me tell you what great parents do. Great parents, they set rules for their children. They do. But when it's appropriate and when it's in the best interest of their child, you know what they do? They break their own rules. That's what great parents do, okay? I know, Jack, bedtime is 8 p.m. That's the rule. But tonight, because of what's happening, you know, because Nana passed away and all these people are here to mourn with them and because we're celebrating her life together tonight, even though 8 p.m. is the rule, why don't you stay up? If you feel like staying up, I think tonight's a good night to do so. And tomorrow, you want to know something? I know the rule is to go to school every single day, no matter what. But I know it's a really difficult time. And if you don't feel like going to school, why don't you stay home with the family tomorrow? Do you guys get it? Do you guys see? Why do great parents do like, you know, why do great parents parent like that? It's because they've already decided in their hearts and in their minds that their children are more important to them than the rule. Do you guys get that? Simple, right? The parent that doesn't do that may end up with an orderly home, right? With everyone following the rules, but they won't have their kids for very much longer. And we'll under, we all understand that. Because a home like that, it's, it's about the rules. It's not about the people. So here's the question. Do you ever feel like that towards church? Do you ever feel like that towards God? That it was all about the rules, it was all about getting this right or wrong. It's always about, it was about knowing this properly. Or it was about all these other rules or, and, and rules that you had to follow or else you'd be judged. Rather than just being loved. If you ever felt like that towards church, or if you felt, ever felt like that about your relationship with God, I apologize. I'm really sorry. If any pastor made you feel that way or think that way, we were wrong. If we ever created a church that felt that way, then we created an inaccurate, unhealthy environment. It was wrong. Because that's not why Christ died for us. Right? The church, that's not what the church was supposed to be. Right? It was never supposed to be about the rules. It was always supposed to be how much God truly, truly loved us enough to make these rules for us so that we would stay on his track. Right? And that's what they were for. You know, God is our perfectly heavenly father. So he didn't create people for the law. He created laws for his people. His children were always the priority over the law. Do you guys get that? And I know we feel good about that, and hopefully you do. But before you get too excited, let me just throw some water on the, on the passion a little bit, right? Because parents also break the laws, not only for the sake of their child to, you know, to make them happy, but sometimes they also break their own laws 
which ends up with their children being angry and disappointed, right? There'll be times where parents will totally do that, right? Now, kids, I know that I said that you could go there, but you can't go now. What? Why? You promised. Uh, and then parents would be like, yeah, you know, you said, I know I said you could go there, but I actually checked out where you were going, and now that I know where you're going, you ain't going, right? That's it. And that's what happens. But dad, you said, you promised, you said so, you know, you gave us your word. I said, I know I gave you my word, but now that I know exactly where you're going, you're not going to go there. But dad, you said I could, I know. And the thing is, you know, I, I know I said that you could go with those guys, but now that I actually met those guys, you ain't going with those guys, you know? And that makes sense. And a lot of times, you know, parents will break their own rules, their own promises. Why? Because when, the, you know, their kids will complain and the kids will get angry, the kids will be disappointed. But the thing is, a loving parent would say, look, before I had all the information, I know I made the promise. But now that I have all the information, you have to understand, I love you. All I want to do is love you and protect you. If you go there, you can get hurt. You can get in trouble. If you go with those guys, they're trouble. And I don't want that for your life. And that's what a great parent will do. A great parent will even break their own promise if they didn't have all the information in order to love their child even more. Do you guys, do you guys understand that, right? And that's why parents do stuff like that. It's because they, ha they love their child and they have the best interests of their child in mind. That's what great parents do and that's what our Heavenly Father does. Right, do you guys understand that? Wait, Eddie, are you saying... That God changes his mind? That's wrong, because I learned that God doesn't change. Right, did you ever learn that at church? But here we go. God does change his mind. God doesn't change. He does not change. But does he change his mind? Yes, he does. Right? And that's something that should scare all of us, especially those who love relig being religious. Okay? He does change his mind. Just read your Bible. He changes his mind. I'm going to bring all this destruction upon you guys. No, please don't. I'm not going to bring destruction upon you guys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He changes his mind, right? He doesn't change because he's a loving, perfect father. And loving, perfect fathers do what's best out of their love for their kids. He doesn't change. But sometimes he does change his mind, right? You know, if you, and here we go. This is the context of our passage today in Isaiah. If you read your Old Testament, you're going to find this pattern over and over and over again. What you're going to find is that a lot of times the Israelites will use the word of God to hurt people. They'll use God's words to actually abuse people, take advantage of people for their personal gain, and they'll hurt people. But the thing is, they realize that in the word and in the law, God says that no matter how you sin, if you simply bring these sacrifices to the temple, I'll forgive you. You're good with me. So you know what these Israelites did all throughout the Old Testament? They're like, dude, that's a holy loophole, man. We can do whatever we want, and as long as we burn that sheep, we're forgiven. We're good, right? So you know what they would do? They would go out and literally abuse people. They would take advantage of people. They would hurt people. And they would just do everything for personal gain. And then what they would do is, it's okay, because we just, here's a, here's a sheep. Bam, done, forgiven, let's go. That's what they would do. And so when you read your Old Testament, every once in a while, God would send this prophet. And the prophet basically would show up and have a harsh word with the Israelites. So let me kind of just sum up what the, what the prophet would say. And basically this would, you know, the prophet speaks the word of God. So basically, basically this is what God's saying to the Israelites, you know, 
periodically. This is what he would say. He, he would say something like this. Guys, how dumb do you think I am? <laughs> That's what he would say. Okay. How dumb do you really think I am? Do you seriously think you can sin like willy-nilly, do whatever you wish, and just because I said that you burn a certain animal or two, that I'm just going to forgive you and wipe the slate clean and everything's okay? Do you think that the blood of these animals forces me to be happy about you? That's ridiculous, right? Who do you think you're trying to fool here? That's what God says. And then these guys would say, but God, that's what the rules say. That's what you specifically wrote in your law. As a matter of fact, you're the one that created the system. And that's what they would say. And then God would say what? He said, look, man, I commanded you to love your neighbor. I commanded you to be a salt and light to the nations. I commanded you to treat everybody with dignity, no matter who they were or where they're from. And when you sin, the sacrifice was supposed to be the exception to the rule. It wasn't supposed to be the rule. But you guys made the sacrifice the rule. And you've done it so often that you think that that's now the rule. And you actually convince yourself that that's what actually makes me happy. But how wicked is that? And that's what he would say. And the thing is, here's the main point that God wanted to say. The fat of animals and the sacrifices don't make me happy. Those things don't. And if you think it does, then you miss the whole point. I don't want that. I want you. I love you. And I want you to be mine. I want you to love me with everything that you have. And I want you to love others in the exact same way. The sacrifices are there just in case you mess up. They're not there to be the rule. Isn't that what it says in Isaiah 1? It says in verse 11, it says, The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? They're nothing. I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, of fat, of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, and goats. And look what it says in verse 13. It says, stop, so stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incest has now become detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Look at what he's saying there. So what's he saying? He goes, look, I know the rule says if you just make a sacrifice that I'm going to forgive you. But I made that rule so that it could fuel your love for me. That's why the rule was there in the first place, so that you could love me. You could realize how much I love you. That's what the sacrifice was for. It should break your heart just like it breaks mine. Every time you sin, that's what it was for. The rule is in place so that you would seek me and want me and love me just as much as I want you. That's it. But because you put the rule before me, because you put religion before me, I want you to stop. Stop doing all that, even though I said that you're supposed to. Why? Because I care about you, and I love you. And because you put the rules before me, I'm commanding you to stop. Do you guys get this? Do you guys understand? You know what that means for some of us? Right? It'll make us... Well, some of us might be here today. Some of us might be here today because we had a bad week. Am I right? You sinned a lot. Okay? I'm not here to condemn you. But some of you, you had a really bad week, and you know you sinned a lot, and the first thing you thought about is, damn, I better go to church today, or I better go to church this Sunday, right? That's what you think. And something within your hearts are like, dude, I, I sinned bad, I did a lot, but I better go to church today because by going to church and sitting in this place for an hour and a half and listening to this hour sermon, whatever this is, 
Somehow, some way, mystically, spiritually, somehow the, the accounts get balanced, right? I did bad, but because I came here, I'm a little bit better. That's what we think, all right? I thought about that a lot in my whole life. Maybe you guys do too. But you have to understand, now that we understand what this passage is saying, what do you think God thinks about that kind of thinking? I'll say it in a nice way. He's thinking, dude, that's not how it works. That's the nice way. The bad way is, that's detestable before me, right? Because that's not how I work. I don't function like that. I don't even think like that. Because I love you, and I want you, and I want you to love me. Come to church. Yes, you messed up. But come to church so that we can be right. Not so that your accounts can be balanced or so that you could feel better about being a Christian or yourself or those things. Those I could care less about those things. I love you, and I want you, and I want you to want me too, right? I don't give you laws and rules. I don't awaken you to sin and ping your conscience about that so that you can appease yourself in some way by going to church. That's not how I work. I love you. You're my child. And the thing is, by sinning, you're just screwing up your life. Right? And then now you're trying to use things like church attendance or spiritual practices, thinking that that's somehow going to make me happy. But the thing is, that's not. You know what makes me happy? When you choose to honor me with your life. When you choose to honor yourself with your life. That's what makes me happy as your father. Because you were made in my image to reflect me. You're part of my family. You're my child. So don't do Christian things. Don't do Christian-y things thinking that somehow, some way, that's going to appease me or even appease yourself. Because even you know that it doesn't work like that. That's seriously a waste of all of our time. I want you to submit to me. I want you to submit yourself to me and live holy because... I'm in love with you. And because you want to be in love with me, you need to realize I'm not in love with the rules. I'm not in love with the Bible. I'm not in love with morality or ethics. I'm in love with you. So stop playing these spiritual games with me. Do you guys, you guys understand this? This is huge. This is real, okay? Verse 15 says, if you keep on doing this, though, verse 15 says, when you spread out your hands in prayer, I'm going to hide my eyes. And even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. How's that work for your theology right there, right? Especially for Pentecostals. Like we, just, we think we pray a lot more, we pray harder, we pray a lot longer, and God's sure to listen. He goes, no. Why? Because your hands are practicing religiosity rather than just coming to me. What's he saying, right? He's saying, well, I just said what he's saying, right? He didn't create you so that you could keep the laws and be religious. He created you so that you could just simply love him, right? So this is what he says. He just, I want your life to be characterized by love. I want us to have a true intimate love relationship with one another. And not only that, but I want that to translate so powerfully in your life that you choose to love others. That's why he says that the solution is in verse 17 where he says, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. God in this passage broke his own laws so that he could love his kids more. Do you understand this? That's what happened. Now we get to the New Testament, okay? 
And we get to Matthew 22, and here Jesus does something amazing. The Sadducees tried to trick Jesus, but he, they failed. So the Pharisees come along, and they try to trap him, and they ask Jesus Christ, which one of these laws is the greatest from Moses, or the most important? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There we go. And you want to know something? When Jesus Christ said that, every religious person in that room, they were like, that's right. And they felt good. Do you know why they felt good? Because every religious person in this room knows you can't measure love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And why? Because I can't see your mind. I can't know your heart. I can't know your strength or your whatever. You know what I'm saying? So it's immeasurable. So therefore, when it says love the Lord your God, yeah, I'm doing that. You know, there's no accountability, right? No standards. But then before they could feel proud about themselves, all of a sudden he says the second greatest command, which is what? Love your neighbor as yourself. But the key is his saying, the second is like it, right? And that's the most powerful part of what Jesus said. The second commandment is like it. And the moment he said the word, the phrase, like it, what he's saying is, see, what I'm about to say, the second thing, it actually makes the first command measurable. It actually makes the first command observable. It means it's equal to. It comments upon. It prevents you from being religious without actually living it out. And what is the second part? It's love your neighbor as yourself, right? And this is a wake-up call to every single person in this room who likes being religious, right? Who likes being religious over truly living a life of love. That's probably one of the biggest statements I made today because that might be all of us, right? All of us like being religious rather than truly living a life of love. What's Jesus saying here? He's, this is what he's saying. He's saying because the second part of that commandment highlights or is in light of or comments upon the first, what he's saying is for those who call themselves Christians, but don't truly live a life of active love towards their neighbor, maybe they either don't know God or they don't really love God or they just like being religious. Is that tough? Is that too real? That's what he's saying, right? So the question is, who's my neighbor, Jesus? And Jesus said, he tells the Good Samaritan when someone asks the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan was someone that every Jew hated. It was their mortal enemy, right? In our passage in Isaiah today, it says, it's the rejects, it's the outcasts, it's the vulnerable of our society, the widows, the fathers, the oppressed. Jesus is basically saying, look, everybody loves their family. Everybody loves their friends. Those guys aren't your neighbors. Those aren't the neighbors I'm talking about. The neighbors I'm talking about is the people you don't like, your landlord, your manager, right? Your boss, right? Your enemies, the people that you hate. Maybe it's your literal neighbor, Right? People that you would consider your enemy. These are the neighbors that I am commanding you to love. And if we take a good, honest look at ourselves, and this is what I want you to do today, if you take an honest look at yourselves and you realize I am not doing this, I honestly surround my whole life in ways that I only love my family, I only love my friends, and I, I make sure that I don't do anything else but love my family and friends, and I, I weed out everybody else in my life. If that's what you're doing, maybe Jesus is saying here, maybe you don't really know me, or you'd rather live a religious life. But if you're doing that, don't fool yourself. You were called to love because I love you, right? 
So you see, Jesus came to put religion in its place, and that's what I'm talking about. Jesus came to take the religiosity out of this whole thing of Christianity so that we could be real, true lovers, right? And look at what he says in the next statement, verse 40. He says, all the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. And really quickly, what that means is very simple. What he's saying is, you can take any book, any chapter, any verse, any rule, and it's all about loving God and loving others. That's what he's saying, right? And because Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment of the Old Testament, therefore anything that he teaches and anything that his disciples did as a result of his teaching is now every verse, every chapter in the New Testament, every rule in the New Testament should point you to loving God and loving others. Everything, if you try to study it, read it, apply it, you, the conclusion of it all should be, whoa, I need to love God more and I want to love God more and therefore I should love God or love others more sincerely. That should be the conclusion. If it isn't, then you read, studied, and applied it wrong. That's what he's saying. But you know what that means practically for us? Oh, I just said what it means practically for us. Uh, Here's the bottom line. Religion is not first. What is first is loving God with all you have and loving others as a result. That's it. Loving God and loving others is always first. Loving others proves your love for God because that's what Jesus is all about, loving others, which means religion has its place. It's not first. It's Second, I'll bring this to a close. Did you ever notice that when you study the Gospels, Jesus Christ, it feels like, and it always seems to me, that whenever Jesus met somebody, the only question that went on in his mind was this. What does love require of me in this particular situation to this particular person? What does love require of me in this particular situation to this particular person, right? And the answer to that question was always different depending upon the person and the situation. Sometimes he would heal people by simply his words. Other times he would, he would pick up mud, spit in it, and, and put it on people's eyes. Other times he would like lay down on people. Like, dude, what is the inconsistency here, Jesus, right? Why, what is the dramatics in the theater here? But the thing is, all he did was he looked at people, he realized in this situation with this particular person, this is what they need to be loved. And he did it, right? And, and that's the whole thing. Did you ever realize that love requires inconsistency? Is that a weird statement to make? But love requires inconsistency. Every parent understands this because they know that every, each one of their children are totally different. So you love them differently. We're not talking about our commitment to them, but we just love them differently. We talk about how we practice and enact that love towards our children, right? People are different. Therefore, loving different people means loving them differently and inconsistently. We love religion because it's clear. It's simplified. It's so, like, systematic. It's so consistent, but people are not like this. And loving them is never going to be like that. So the moment we put religion and rules ahead of people, we actually take a step away from God. So here's the application. This is it. Okay, I've come to the end. Whenever you encounter anybody in your life, this is all I want you to say. Say it to that person. You don't have to say it to that person. You say it in your heart. But say, you will be more important to me. No, you will always be more important to me 
than my view. That's it. All of us have views. All of us have belief systems. Right? All of us have convictions. And even though everything that you are goes completely against everything that I believe, I will choose to love you more. That's it. Don't ever allow your beliefs to supersede a person. Ooh, Eddie, that's controversial. <laughs> you know, how far are we going to take that one, Eddie? How far can we take that as a Christian? And you know what I'm going to say? As far as Jesus did, man. Jesus did not die on the cross for rules or principles or religion or precepts. Right? He died on the cross for people. He didn't die on the cross for Reformed theology or Pentecostal practices. He didn't die on the cross for religion. He died for people. To say it even clearer, Jesus didn't die for the law. He died for lawbreakers. He didn't die for the rules. He died for rule breakers. He didn't die for sin. He died for sinners. And he didn't die for a view or a doctrine. He died for you. Jesus became a man to put religion in its place. It's not first, it's second. And it's, it's a second that's way behind you and me and the person sitting next to you. And I'm not talking about the person sitting next to you physically. I'm talking about this person sitting next to you ideologically, politically, religiously, spiritually, every person. He died for us all. I hope as a result of this series, not only are, is your heart dying to want to, God, want to know God more and love God more, but that it's awakened you to not be religious so that you can be freed to love people truly. Let's pray. Jesus loves you. God loves you. He doesn't like your religiousness. He loves you. So if you, maybe as a result of today's message, say, oh man, I'm practicing religious things. I actually think that, you know, we can balance accounts and all that kind of stuff. And you're playing these spiritual games with God. Just stop. Come to God and say, I'm sorry. I don't want to play these games anymore. I want you just as much as you want me. I want to love you and be in love with you just as much as you want to be in love with me. And if that's you, just come to God. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for all of your sins so that you can be forgiven. So that you can once again, your heart for him can be stoked. And the embers that exist can turn into a flame. That's why he sent his son for us. So you can love him forever and be loved by him forever. So let's stop playing religious games with God. And maybe the big one is, maybe you, you know that already. And you want to get deeper in your love with God. And you want to get deeper to live this life that honors Him. God says, then love people. Like, truly love people. Don't put limits. But love people. Because that's what I would do. Right? Don't let your views, don't let anything get in the way of choosing to love somebody. 
because I didn't let anything get in the way of me loving you. I even sent my own son for you. Let's live a life of love together. Let's pray. sending your son Jesus so that we might be forgiven but more than that so that we can know you and have this relationship with you so that we can know every single moment of every single day how loved we are perfectly by our heavenly father so that we can know love and be loved to this world just as you were to us through Christ God we're so sorry because it's so much easier to play religious games than to love you it's so much easier to fake it at church than to actually worship you and love you. It's so much easier to say the right things and to put on the, the right hat rather than being who we actually really want to be. And that's the stupidity of it, of it all. We actually want to love you. We actually want to be yours. We actually want to follow you with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. But I don't know why we stupidly put on hats instead. Sorry, but help us. We need your power. We need your strength to change. Father, we need your courage to help us throw away these stupid spiritual games that we play. Because when we play those games, we forsake this amazing treasure that we can have all the time, which is you. So God, help us. We need it. It's too easy to be religious. So help us always run passionately for the greater prize in Christ. And Father, we pray, help that to translate into a life of love, not a life of religiousness, not a life of Christianity, but a life of true love, the way Jesus would show this world. God, there's everyone in this world probably will disagree with us, our views, our convictions, even our religious convictions, this kind of stuff. But Lord, we pray that you give us the courage to never allow those things to prevent us from looking someone in the eye and choosing to love them no matter what. Give us the courage to do that so that we might just make you great in this world. More of Jesus through us in this world. More of the gospel of Christ lived out through us in this world. More of you. We thank you so much, God. Help us to truly be your kids. 
who are just in love with their dad. In Jesus' name.